Well, welcome, church family, to another online worship experience. We're so glad you chose to be with us again this week. We're excited to dive into this Christmas season. So, ready or not, here we go.
Well, hello again. Chris here. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you, worship team, for leading us in a time of worship. And uh, thank you again. Uh, we hope that uh, this time with us uh, is just a blessing for you and your family uh, throughout the week. Uh, well, as you know, we love praying for you. There's a lot going on in our world, and prayer requests uh, always come up. And uh, we love praying for you. So if you would like to text us your confidential prayer uh, request at 97,097,000, uh, we love praying praying for you throughout the week. And you can text that anytime, 3 a.m. You can text that to us and uh, we will love that. Well, there is a lot going on here. Uh, if you would like to have any information about our men's ministries, women's ministries, uh, student ministries, all the ministries that we have going on, we got tons of ministries and tons of weekly happenings. Uh, the best place to find that information is our website at agorabible.org, agorabible.org, and you can visit us there anytime. And on our website, you'll see under the Give tab, uh, you can actually make a donation. And as you know, uh, our ongoing ministry is is made because of people like you who uh, generously give, and we're so grateful for that. So you can give again under the donate tab on our website. Well, before we get into God's word today, uh, let me take a second and pray for us. Well, Father, we thank you so much for uh, the people listening online, for the families that are represented, Lord. And uh, we are so thankful that you are a God that can speak to all of us, no matter where we are. And uh, we don't take that for granted, Lord. Uh, just pray, Lord, for this time that uh, uh, your spirit will nudge us, will move us, and that we'll hear exactly what you want us to hear today. And uh, we love you so, so much, Lord. I pray that the distractions of the next few minutes will go away and uh, we can focus on your word and your spirit, Lord. We love you, and it's your name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, thank you, worship team, and excited to continue working through our series in the book of Isaiah with kind of picking out some key passages. And you might notice if you see the beginning of this video on the, the scripter, it says, favorite Christmas verse. I know that's a, a bold statement. I realize that. But really, in the extent of my study this week, I was, I was going through to the passage, I'm like, man, I don't know of a single verse that I love more than this one. So I want to have a start our service with a little something different, and it's a chance for you to actually 
come and join along with me reading this verse aloud. Read it together, Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Such a beautiful and powerful description there. And I'm wondering in the audience, to those who are watching, how many of you at some point in your life memorized that, that verse? Now, I think when I was growing up, when I would have heard that verse, I would have thought that that was a description by maybe Mary or, or Joseph of their new baby. Maybe the shepherds or the wise men excited about the birth. But instead, as we look and as we explore the book of Isaiah, we realize that this was a, a prophecy written by the prophet Isaiah over 600 years before the arrival of Jesus Christ. Basically a prophecy about the biggest event in human history, God coming to earth as a child. So much is packed into this one simple verse, not just prophecy about the Messiah's impact, but also what his eternal reign will be like. Let me just pray briefly before we start to explore this beautiful verse. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this chance to gather around this passage in this text and a chance to, to study and see what was foretold about you. 600 years prior to your arrival, all the more validating your birth, that it wasn't on accident, it wasn't a, a random thing, it was chosen, it was designed, it was the perfect plan being executed for our rescue, for our deliverance. We ask now that we'd be able to set aside all the distractions of the holidays, whether it's the, the shopping or the parties or whatever we have going on, managing stuff with kids. I pray that we'd be able to slow down, exhale, and enter into this passage and see what you have for us. We invite that in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Well, looking at this passage, we're going to dive right into it and start with the first description that we started. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. I don't know if you've ever made the mistake of accidentally either mislabeling or not labeling a Christmas gift. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. You get to the end of the gift exchange and you come to the, the bottom of the tree, and there's one package and it's got no label on it. And you're like, man, who in the world is this for? This last week, it was kind of funny. My youngest daughter, Sienna, was trying to be helpful and was helping wrap my son Chase's Christmas gifts and putting them under the tree and getting them all labeled. Well, we realized at the same time, we're like, man, what happened to that Amazon package? It was just something for the house. We're like, where did that disappear to? We're looking everywhere for it. And then we discover maybe Sienna wrapped this random home uh, item under the tree for Chase for Christmas. So we're rooting through these gifts and having to half unopen them to see what's what. And we finally found it. It's kind of funny getting that clarification that it was not for Chase. It was to us. And that's what we see here in the text. I think it's important to point out out of the gates. It says, for to us a child is born. And again, it's repeated a second time. To us, a son is given. It's important going into Christmas to realize who this gift was for. Christmas is for everybody. In fact, there's people gathering all over the planet right now 
to celebrate the arrival of the amazing gift to us. It's not a retaliation. If you think about it, it's like you could think of our rebellion and our rejection of God. To us could be a a bad thing, but instead he came humbly and said, I'm going to shut things down. It's not going to be a vengeance thing. It's going to be a gift that's sent to mankind. It describes pretty powerfully in this short little section, both his humanity, his deity, and his sovereignty. First, his humanity, you see it right there out of the gates. For to us, a child is born. God in an earth suit. He was fully God, but also fully man. I love how the book of John describes, John 1, 14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. I love the idea of the approach that he came. He chose to come as a child too. One of my favorite things about our church is how many kids we have running around. Any given Sunday or weekend or during the week at Awana, we have so many kids running around and uh, creating havoc. It's a ton of uh, mayhem, I would suggest, and ruining my fountain by throwing rocks in it out there. But either way, I love getting so many kids on our campus. The kids are such a gift, obviously, from God. We have lots of encounters with kids during the course of the week here. One of the things that was fun is a local Christian school, Harvest Christian Academy. Each of the different elementary grades, they pick a different pastor from the community to focus on praying for and being a support to. And every time about this year, uh, this time of the year, I get a, a letter from kids in a particular classroom. Well, this last week, I got a letter from some kids in a classroom, and it was cool to see their letter to me. You can see it here very eloquently described. It says, Dear Pastor Scott, I hope you're a good pastor. We are praying for you. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, all right. Well, I hope I'm a good pastor too in this description. is the, the beautiful imagery there of him coming and showing up. Of all the ways that he could have arrived on the scene, he came as a child. He could have come as a conquering king, but instead we see the full demonstration of his humanity, starting as a helpless baby and then a child. And I'm always shocked at how little someone knows coming straight from the womb and a child then developing into a young man, going through the full experience, the full human experience. He experienced times when he was tired, experiences times where he's hungry, where he's sad, he experienced pain, he experienced temptation. But in all of that, as which where he's set apart and different from us, he did all of that without ever sinning, with no mistake, with, with no regrets, no, no man, I wish I could redo that. He was the perfect example for us in his humanity. I've really enjoyed watching that series. Uh, maybe you've had a chance to catch it or heard about it. It's called uh, The Chosen. And just this last week, they had a special short run time where they had the Chosen Christmas special in some of the theaters uh, locally. I recommend if you get a chance to see that, what a powerful worship experience. But what I love about that series probably more than anything is its ability to capture the humanity of Jesus Christ, fully God, but also fully man. That was part of the gift So his humanity is on display in this passage. For to us, a child is born, but also his deity. It says, to us, a son is given. A son is given. 
Notice the word usage there, given, shows that he pre-existed. If you have something that's given, you already had to have it at that point prior. The only person that's ever existed before he was born. Jesus didn't become God. He was always God. God did something very personal, choosing to roll up his sleeves, come down and be amongst us, to, to humble himself, as I already mentioned in that form, God in an earth suit. And he claimed it on the regular. If you think about how many interactions Jesus with the people that he interacted with, made claims of his deity, it's unbelievable how often and how frequent it was. I just want to highlight a couple just in the book of John. John 5, 23, Jesus says this. He says, All may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Do you see that placement of it as a, with himself as a, as a peer, a oneness with God? John 10:30 says, I and, the I and the Father are one. The people listening to him when he spoke that realized what he was being what he was claiming because they immediately picked up stones to stone him. John 12:44 and 45. Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in the one who sent me. And listen to this part. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. If you want to see the father, he's saying, look at me. I am the perfect representation of the father. One God eternally existing in three persons. If you think about it, the main charge against Jesus, why he was put on the cross was for blasphemy, for claiming to be God. And his followers had no confusion about this either. His followers even acknowledged his deity as well. John 20, 28, doubting Thomas, as he's become known, falls before Jesus saying, my Lord and my God. Jesus had every opportunity to diffuse that, to redirect that, to correct that. Could have said, no, 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 don't use that kind of language. But instead, he embraced it because that's who he was. God in the flesh. We're told that the son was given, given to us. If you think about something that's given, it's interesting that something that's given isn't received until you reach out and actually take it. You have to choose to actually use what was given. I heard this week from a Consumer Reports article that out of the gift cards that are given over Christmas, only about or one in five of them is never actually redeemed. The study was looking at a particular year of gift cards and in the United States alone, over 972 million Christmas gift cards were left unused. Something that was given, but it was never received. You see, God's extended the gift of his son, but obviously we have to choose whether or not we receive it. So we've seen his humanity. We've seen his deity. Also look in this text, this first section, also see his sovereignty. In other words, his ability to reign over everything. It says the government will be on his shoulder. 
This is kingdom language, if you will. The government was considered for a king to be a burden that he carried the, the weight on his shoulders, plural. It's kind of cool that in this description of our king that it's uh, just only one shoulder needed to carry the kingdoms of this earth. Why is that such a big deal? Why is that so necessary? Well, you don't have to look very far to realize how broken our government is. I was listening this week to a former pastor in Chicago, James McDonald, a message that he had given about this topic of government. And it's about 12 years old. And even 12 years ago, this was his complaints or concerns about human government. First thing he brought up, he said, it's a completely broken system. He said, it's not a, not a little bit broken. It's like wheels off, missing the engine kind of broken. You think about what was established in our initial constitution, the different things that they wanted to implement through the government. This is what was intended for the initial constitution, unifying the people. How would you say present day, the government's doing with that, with unifying the people? Would you say we're doing pretty good with that? How about this? To establish justice, to establish justice. I heard about one LA store owner that was making every item in his store $951 so that he would apply a coupon to get it down to an appropriate uh, price at checkout because he knew that the checkpoint for someone being convicted of a crime for that was $950. Kind of a sad state that we're in so establishing justice, not so great. Provide for the common defense to secure our, our country and to protect our country. How are we doing with that? Would you say now, 12 years later as this description, how is our, our border looking at this point? Secure freedom and liberty for the people of this country. That's what the constitution wanted to make sure it put in place. How do we assess that? How's the freedom and liberty thing going in our current state? Instead, the last one, securing domestic peace. So much hostility, it's hard to point to where to begin. Like the description I began with, not a, a little bit broken, but instead wheels off, missing the engine. Instead of getting any of these things, we get arguing, posturing, campaigning, and of course, Plenty of lying, plenty of dishonesty within the government. And I'm not even picking on one particular side. I would say it's across the board. So broken system, motives suspect was the second thing that he mentioned. Are we, is that still the case 12 years later? I like that he, he quoted Ronald Reagan who says the most terrifying words that you can, that somebody can hear are, I am from the United States government and I'm here to help. It's kind of a description. Why, why is that terrifying words? Because we have questionable motives. We're, we're not convinced that the people that are leading us want what's best for us. And that attaches to the third one. So broken system motives are suspect. And also the, the kind of underlying issue is hearts are sinful. We have a bent towards sin, not just government leaders, but mankind as a whole. And so there's a consistent wrestling match. Is this person looking out for our best interest or their best interest? 
That's the problem with our government. And that is exactly the weight that Jesus will one day carry. Who can fix this mess? Verse seven, if you glance ahead there in Isaiah, describes a little bit more of what he wants to do with the government. He says, of the increase of his government and of the peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, that's what he's going to do, and to uphold it. How? With justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. I love that it's a promise that this benevolent dictator will someday be established over all of mankind, no longer needing to vote for a new president or a new leader every four years. If there's ever a time to amen a video, that would be it. And his, as we see in that description, his government will be perfectly just and perfectly righteous. I heard a story this week of three professionals, a surgeon, an engineer, and a politician. All three were arguing with each other about what is the, actually the oldest profession to mankind. The surgeon was pretty confident about his position. He pointed to Genesis 2, where God carved a rib out of Adam to create Eve. But the second guy, the engineer says, listen, you're, you're, you're missing it because in Genesis 1, God took something and created it out of complete chaos. And of course, the politician didn't want to be left out. He says, not so fast. Who do you think caused the chaos? You see, we're longing for that day where the chaos comes to an end, when it's going to be done. The first time Jesus comes as a humble baby, but Christmas 2.0 will be a little bit different. Everything will be inverted. You can read about it in Revelations chapter 19. He will show up as a reigning king. So my question for us in the meantime, why do we continue to place our confidence in human government? Why do we place our eggs in that basket? Uh, instead, clinging to the only sovereign king, the only one that will have the potential to fix all that is broken. Continues in the text to describe how this king will be known, what he'll be known for, descriptors of him. I love it. It's a beautiful description. It says, And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of peace. When you stop and think for a moment what descriptors you would give of your current boss at work, I'm wondering if any of those terms would be used. Wonderful, strong, he's like a father to me, he's always trying to bring peace. Would those be descriptors of your current leadership? Well, this is a descriptor of the coming king. First one, wonderful counselor. I love that description because really, if you think about it, anybody can give counsel. Sometimes that concerns me as I interact with people and they're like, you know what? I've, I've been seeing a counselor. I'm like, well, tell me about that counselor. Is it, do you feel like they're giving you good counsel? Do you feel like it's rooted in God's word? 
You see, everybody has opinions about how you should live, but we have to really check ourselves as to where we're receiving our counsel. Our wonderful counselor, he's given us two different formats in which he provides counsel. One is his word, and two is his people that are rooted in his word. And so for us, this wonderful counsel is there, it's an invitation. Do you see in that description, it says how he can be, how he can be experienced. We are no guarantee that we're going to experience him as the wonderful counselor, but it's so desperately needed in our life. We need outside input. Otherwise, we can operate with such blinders on, just kind of doing our own thing. And what we've talked about before, uh, when we guide our own ship, when we're isolated, the heart is wicked and can't be trusted. So outside input, his word is so important. It's also critical for us to understand that counsel from God's word isn't just advice. Some people consider a direction from God's word. Yeah, that's one option. I could go that route or I could go another route, but instead his counsel is more like a directive rather than a suggestion. So the only way that you're going to experience him as the wonderful counselor is when you place him appropriately as Lord and his wisdom when you do will blow your mind. His ability to look in, to know every detail of every situation and the best route out and the best path, the best course of action. His wisdom will blow your mind. That's why Isaiah uses that expression. He's a wonderful counselor. Do you know him as that? Do you see him as that? Do you experience him as that? You see, wisdom isn't just gaining knowledge or information. Knowledge rightly applied is wisdom. And that's what God's desire. He wants to be the source of information that then in which we rightly apply to our life. So first part of description of this benevolent king is wonderful counselor. Second one, you see it right there in the text. It's not real confusing. Mighty God. Mighty God. I love that description of him as well. I don't know if you're like me in this, but sometimes when I'm looking at all the different things that I'm responsible for, the things that I got to juggle, sometimes it can all get a little bit overwhelming and a little bit heavy to carry. Do you feel like that going into this season? Do you feel the weight of everything going on around you, all the responsibilities? I'll tell you what, I was, I was reading this uh, past week in my study that the Center of Disease estimates that up to 90% of doctor's visits are somehow related to stress or anxiety. And even further than that, we're in a world right now where suicide is just rampant because people are carrying weight that wasn't intended for them to carry. They weren't designed to carry it was heartbreaking just talking to a lady in our church that just, uh, actually it was just yesterday. She was telling me that she was about to, to go hiking on a Wildwood Trail. Some of you are familiar with that. She said, man, it was really heartbreaking. She said, because they had the, the trail was completely closed down because somebody just the, uh, recently had just taken their life on that trail. They had come to the, the end of their ropes. They had realized they can't do it and they didn't lean in to mighty God. 
That's what he offers. He offers the power to not only sustain you, but to change you, to transform you, to help you navigate the things that you don't feel like you can. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father is the third description there. You see, we might not realize this, but the father longing is universal. We long for, whether we realize it or not, every single person on this, per, on this planet longs for a good father, longs for a faithful father, longs for a, a loving father. And when you don't have it, life can be quite difficult. Some of you listening right now know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you have experienced this because uh, unfortunately, father absence is epidemic. Well, they might be present, but there's a difference between being around and being present and involved in your life. And so often, father disappointment leaves us whirling because every single one of us has a hole inside of us that's longing for the father to fill. But here's where the confusion often lies, where a human father can be helpful in this. Man, I've got the best dad. My dad is fantastic super encouraging, super, super engaged, super loving. But no matter how great your father is, we still have a father longing that only Jesus Christ can fill. The only Jesus Christ can fill. And some of us have been disappointed and disillusioned and frustrated. And God's saying, man, that is, you're going down the wrong road to try to satisfy your father longing. I'm the one that can, that can provide that. I'm the one. You should have realistic expectations of human fathers because the only one that can meet our true father longing is Jesus Christ describes him as that, as the perfect leader, the perfect ruler. So wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father. And lastly, prince of peace. Prince of peace. Doesn't peace sound amazing right now? With the friction, with the turmoil, with the strife that we're surrounded with, and I'm just talking about the on the 101. I'm saying just in general, we're surrounded with it all around us. And that's exactly what was promised with this coming babe. Do you remember the, the angels promised their words? It says, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. I was reading this week an article in the New York Times that looked across the uh, history of the past 3,400 years of mankind. In those 3,400 years, take a guess how many of those experienced worldwide peace. Only 268 years, that's 8% of recorded history have been marked with peace. Now, Maybe here's a little trivia for you. How about in the last 300 years, how many years would you guess have been marked with global peace in the past 300 years? Take a wild guess. Zero, a big fat goose egg. No peace for the last 300 years of human existence. Peace is something that we long for. But here's the thing to understand. It's more than just the absence of war. It instead is talking about wholeness and completeness. 
Jewish word for this is shalom. Different types of peace that's being offered in scripture is more than the, just the absence of war because I believe that for sure is coming. But the peace that Jesus offers really falls into two categories. Peace with God and the peace of God. First, the peace with God. We might not realize this, but our rebellion and our choice to reject all the way back with Adam and Eve, our choice to reject the leadership of our God is actually willful rebellion and puts us in enmity with our God. Creates division, creates separation, creates us to be described in scripture as enemies. You're like, wait a second, I didn't know that. But if you actually think about what happens with our rebellion and rejection of God's leadership, we're in essence saying to God, I know better than you. I know better how to lead my life. I know better how to direct things. I know better how to, how to guide things. And if you think about with us going our own direction, independent of God, we're creating ourselves as a competing God. Our rebellion is a declaration of war against Almighty God. But that's what he came to solve. Isaiah 53, 5, which we'll look at in a couple weeks, tells us this. It says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him, listen to this, upon him was the chastisement or the punishment or the consequence that brought us what? Peace, peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. You see, the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross provides for the opportunity to have peace with God. There's no longer the, 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 the separation. There's, there's no longer the enmity between the two. The peace with God is one of the things that the Prince of Peace is ushering in. So peace with God and also the peace of God. You see, it's not just the end of war, as I mentioned. It's the tranquility that comes to the soul when all is right with your maker. When all is right with your fellow brothers and sisters, when all is right, when all of a sudden those areas experience peace, then there's the inner peace that only he can experience. So peace with God and the peace of God. Here's the way that that results. That results in a person that doesn't matter how crazy their life gets. It doesn't matter how pressed they feel from, other si from each side. It, inside of them, they understand that they're at peace with God. And so they experience the peace of God. You see, all of these descriptions, all of these things are helpful in learning about our God, learning about Jesus. What, what is he like? What does he offer? What does he, what does he propose or invite us into? But it's also teaching us a bit about ourselves. Why? Because if you think about it, every gift, every gift that's offered, and that's what's being offered here, every gift tells you a little something about yourself because it sends a message as to what's being offered. If you think about it, when you give somebody a gift, it's identifying their perceived needs and trying to meet those needs. I learned early on in uh, my marriage with Adrian that no matter how nice the vacuum cleaner might be, it does not make a good birthday gift for your wife. 
as I've grown and developed in that relationship, I've gotten to know her and be able to identify what her needs are, what her wants are, what her desires are, and better adequately provide gifts for her. And if you think about that, that's true of our God. He provides and he offers these things. He provides being a wonderful counselor. Why do you think he provides that? Because he knows us. He knows that we need counsel because otherwise we're running around completely confused and lost. That's why he offers that gift this Christmas. He also knows that we're weak and we need a mighty God. The, the weight of all of the things that we have to carry in this life sometimes can just completely weigh us down. But he's offering that as a gift. So he's offering wonderful counselor, mighty God. Also, he understands the gift of a everlasting father is something that each of us desperately aches for, longs for, our soul wants to have that hole filled that no human father ever can. But he's saying, I can fill that hole. I can offer what they can't. Prince of peace, why does he come with that gift? Because he understands us. We can't seem to get the peace thing right. Not with those around us, not with those above us, not with those below us. All around, we're marked with the inability to bring peace. And that's what's so amazing about this verse. Because unto us, a gift was given. A gift that provides all of these things. And that is why, my friends, this is my favorite Christmas verse. Let me pray as we wrap up. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this amazing reality that's exposed 600 years before Jesus was born. Something that he knew we would all desperately need. You knew what we needed. You knew that we needed all of those things that were just described. I thank you so much for meeting us exactly at our place of need with a son that you chose to roll up your sleeves, come down, be a, live amongst us so that you can be a, a high priest that sympathizes with us, that experiences the things and pains and, uh, and all of the human experiences with us, but then offers the rescue plan, the peace that we couldn't bring ourselves. We thank you and praise you for that, even as we race towards Christmas. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Shepherds kept their
All right, church family. Well, thanks again, as I mentioned, for being with us through this section of Isaiah. Hopefully it was a blessing to you and encouragement as we come uh, closer and closer to Christmas to celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ. Have an amazing week.